Continued On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 12th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening, I'm Cornelius Wright. And in today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African-American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. First up, the mission of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, or the IBLC, includes improving educational efforts to close the achievement gap that threatens to shut the doors to opportunity for minority students at all grade levels. Additionally, enhancing public policies that will address the primary concerns of minority citizens in Indiana, such as reducing crime, gun violence, and domestic violence within our communities, and targeting assistance to address the needs of families struggling to obtain basic necessities such as housing, utilities, clothing, and food. Joining us this evening to expound more on the initiatives and progress to date of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus is the Honorable Lonnie M. Randolph, Minority Whip, representing Indiana Senate District Number 2 in East Chicago. Representative Randolph, welcome to Bring It On. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, first off, let's let's just kind of get down to the legislative session this year. Um, there's a lot of different things that you have on the agenda but if you had one specific topic to name, what do you think would be the most important issue that you're dealing with this year? I mean, this year, I mean, the upcoming year in yeah. 2018 or the year that just passed? A little bit of both, uh, but but definitely the upcoming 18 year. Well, the upcoming 18 year, um, if you're looking at, depends upon what you're looking at. If you're looking at in terms of uh, overall effect, if what you're looking for is a follow-up on economic development, infrastructure development, uh, those kind of things. Uh, so we're going to look at the follow-up because this past year, for the first time, General Assembly started focusing on specific things dealing with infrastructure in the state of Indiana because the biggest outcry we've had over the last, what, five years particularly, maybe beyond that, has been the crumbling infrastructure in terms of re- uh, bridges, roads, things of that nature. And the General Assembly majority has been reluctant to put together a long-range plan for that. Last year, we had a long-range plan that was implemented. Matter of fact, it was initiated in the House by Senator Ed Repe, State Representative Ed Repe, who was the chairman of the Transportation Department. But uh, apparently, the majority didn't like it because it dealt with the possibility of tax increase. <laughs> and so they did a short-range plan. And that's where this wheel tax issue came up, where it, it allowed uh, grants being set aside and allowed the cities and towns and throughout the states to compete for those grants on a condition that they implement a wheel tax, and their wheel tax would cover like 50% of the cost of the necessary roads or bridges within their respective cities or towns. But that was short range. This year, because of the, the loud outcry over the lack of not putting together a long-range plan, that's when we put together another one, and this one calls for a long-range plan that has sustained itself over the next five or six years that potentially will gross about eight or nine hundred thousand million dollars a year that will be able to cover the reconstruction of the bridge and roads and things like that throughout the entire state and everything. So hopefully that'll that'll be to the forefront. What we're looking at is a follow up on that to make certain that the forecast for the potential money to cover those things for two thousand eighteen uh, will be there. But in terms of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, I can our focus is hate crimes. For the last five or six years, we've been trying to get together some legislation dealing with hate crimes. In the House, State Resident Greg Porter has been pushing for it, and in the Senate, State Senator Greg Taylor has been pushing for that. They've been the leaders in terms of those two areas. One year we get one pass in the House, a bill concerning that, but the Senate doesn't hear it. The next year the Senate gets a bill, but for some reason it doesn't get hear it. So. We're hoping that this year in 2018 we can be able to get something 
certain some concrete legislation dealing with hate crimes. And the reason why we've got a little bit optimistic about that now is because the situations that's been recently occurring throughout the country, particularly what happened in Virginia, and then we got our Speaker of the House came in and said, we've got to look at that. So that is a giant step because the Speaker of the House is the leader of the majority of the uh, leader of the majority in the in the House, and so because of that, then maybe the legislation will get heard in a committee, so we can go to the full body of the House, respectively, and the Senate, respectively, to get a vote on it. So I'm getting along with it now. So okay, actually, uh, is it Senator Randolph or Representative Randolph? I'm state Senator. State Senator. I thought so. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Senator Randolph, the IBLC started off uh, the agenda this year with a couple of the things you mentioned, like bias crimes legislation, uh, the measure to ban private prisons, uh, the Healthy Food Initiative, and the, the bill to improve student discipline and behavior. So my question is, how ha- or has the agenda changed uh, since the beginning of the year? No, it hasn't changed. We're, we're consistently focused on that. That's an annual thing every year. Okay. That's not going to change. Okay, so is has there been any any significant movement, say, on the measure to ban uh, private prisons? Well, there's going to be legislation, and right now we're not in session, so there's not going to be any movement right now until we get in session. The only movement that's going to have is movement behind the scene where we're talking to our fellow legislators and trying to get them to understand the importance of those issues so that when the session starts in January 2018, Hopefully, we have, have some additional supporters on the other aisle that be that would be supportive of our of our, of our positions concerning those those pieces of legislation and everything. So right now we've got various committee meetings, but the different committees have different issues that's going on right now. But the Black Legislative Caucus agenda that remains the same every year and year, year in and year out. And so behind the scenes, when we talk to our colleagues have discussions. If they've got some questions, we can respond to that. So when January comes around, hopefully we'll be in a position to get their support for the bills that might develop as a result of these conversations that we're going to be having with them. So going into uh, the private prison issue just a little bit more, what kind of impact are we seeing within the state of Indiana? I mean, I I read a lot about private prisons and how they affect uh, uh, minority populations around the country, but is there anything unique or specific to Indiana that you have to deal with regarding private prisons? Well, there's nothing unique to Indiana. I mean, private prisons is, is a situation that happens throughout the entire country, particularly in the yeah. South, like in Alabama. And you got them utilizing old chain gang prisoners to come out and do some civic work or some work that's going to benefit corporate entity. And so... Based upon that, we think that it's wrong, it's unfair, it's unconstitutional. So we don't want that to happen in Indiana. So we're putting out a message now that we're opposed to those kind of things happening in Indiana. So if, in fact, some legislation is proposed by the majority members of the General Assembly, whether it's in the House or the Senate, we will be in a position to hopefully prevent that from happening. Hopefully we can prevent it from even being implemented or being uh, fouled by any of the members of the majority party concerning that avenue. So, but the private prisoners' situations is not unique to Indiana. Okay, it's happening throughout the entire country, and particularly in the southern part of the country. Okay, you mentioned uh, that the session is out now, and you're trying to talk to some of your fellow legislators about different uh, proposals that that you're trying to uh, to pass, such as the private prison ban and uh, health food initiatives, etc. Grassroots efforts. Who should some of our people be calling? Which legislators uh, should they be calling to contact to let them know how they feel about these different issues? Well, the first thing they should do is identify where they live and try to identify who the state reps are and who the state senators are. And those are the ones they should be calling, not just calling on the phone, but writing and knocking on the door and talking to them and doing whatever they can to try to let them know how they really feel. Also, the most important aspect is grassroots organizations. You've got various church groups, you've got family groups, you've got educational groups, you've got NAACP, you've got the Urban League, you've got a lot of different veterans groups in your respective communities. These are the kind of group of people that vote for these legislators. 
And if, in fact, the legislators don't hear from you, they're going to vote the way they want, and they're going to pretty much go with their caucus. And a lot of times their caucus position is inconsistent with the position of the people that they represent. So if, in fact, you've got a, a group of people in a respective district, they voice their opinion, opinion concerning an issue, and that's inconsistent with the caucus, then chances are they're going to go with the constituents because the constituents are the ones that put them in office with their vote, not their caucus leadership. Speaking of uh, going against your caucus, uh, there's one issue I want to ask you about that, that actually was not on the agenda, but yet it's still some, something of, uh, uh, of concern. Representative Jim Lucas introduced a bill for permitless gun carry. Can you give us uh, some more information about that? I'm hearing about it during the Summer Study Committee, and I'm just like you. I'm hearing about it and reading about it in the paper. It did not come up in the last session. We are out of session. Our session ended in April this uh -huh. year. And so what happens is they assign different members to different summer interim study committees. Bills that might have came up that might not have got a hearing in the General, General Assembly this past session very well could be assigned to summer study committees. This gun issue was assigned to a summer study committee. And the objective of that is that it gives a chance of committee members in the House and the Senate and some independent people as well, private citizens to participate in it, and to discuss that issue, discuss the feasibility of potential bills of that nature. And from what I'm hearing, I'm not on that committee, but what I'm hearing, that committee is not getting an overwhelming good response, okay? You know, it seems to right. me that you need a you need a, a driver's license to drive a car. You have to register that vehicle with the state. What is the problem about registering a gun? Well, the thing is, the driver's license don't kill people. You but, get car, angry but cars do. Well, you get upset and angry with your neighbor. Your driver's license is not going to kill somebody. You you kill somebody if you're drunk if you if you're reckless driving intoxicated or you get drugs or something of that nature okay and you can injure somebody then you got civil suits for that when you talk about a gun I mean that's an issue that when you talk about oh, why you can't have a license for to carry a gun same thing as a driver's license I mean it sounds like we're going backwards in time in terms exactly. of old wild wild west <laughs> you know <laughs> so anytime Dick and Harry can go and buy a gun and any time Dick and Harry can kill you. But do we want people who have mental and emotional problems picking up guns? Why do we have laws concerning abuses when it comes to a spousal relationship with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife? We have laws because no, we know those violent situations very well could happen. I think we're saying the same thing. I think that we don't want those people getting uh, weapons. Uh, we've got an open carry law here in Indiana. Wouldn't being licensed eliminate some of those uh, people from getting actually being able to get a gun? Yeah, we want them to be licensed. Yeah, I don't want to eliminate that. Right. So so what is the problem with the rest of the legislature where they just can't see that common sense approach? Well, you've got 100 state reps in the House and you've got 50 state senators. So you've got 150 people. And no two people think alike. And the challenge in the General Assembly is to try to convince your fellow colleagues, your fellow legislators, to think consistently on one level, consistent with the concerns that you have. And in a perfect setting, that would be a challenge. If, in fact, we had a perfect setting, but we don't have a perfect setting. And in the House, we've got 100 legislators, up with 40 of those, if it's 40, are Democrats, 60 are Republicans. Matter of fact, I think it might be 29. 29 Democrats, the rest are Republicans. So we're talking about a substantial disadvantage that the Democrats are at. Right. And in the Senate, we've got 50 state senators, of which only eight, okay, are Democrats, the rest are Republicans. So when the Republican says, I want a law dealing with uh, not being required to have a permit to buy a firearm, that means he's got in the House, he's got 71 ears that's going to listen to him. All you need is a majority vote. And in the Senate, he's got 42. So that's not a 
level playing field for the Democrats in the House or the Senate. So when I mention level playing field, I mean you've got 50 of each in this House and 25 of each in the Senate where you can debate it on the merits as to the pros and cons of, of legitimate legislation. It's kind of hard to difficult to debate it on the merits in the House when you know all you got is 29 votes. This seems like one of the few times when Republicans and law enforcement are, are on opposite sides uh, of an issue. And then, you you know, you have to throw the uh, consider the NRA is uh, is playing some kind of role in this. But you mentioned that uh, the bill was not getting a lot of support from other members of the uh, state legislature. What I'm hearing is when you have these committee hearings, the public is invited to come in and participate by becoming witnesses, and they can voice their opinion one way or another for or in opposition to the bill. What I'm hearing is the majority of people who are testifying before this particular committee where the bill is assigned is in opposition to the bill. Okay. And that's a good sign. But just because they're in opposition to the bill does not mean that the committee might not vote on it. Because keep in mind, the majority of the committee members are Republicans. You hear what I'm saying? Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. You know, one thing that, um, that, ha- that, uh, that kind of bothers me, when I see a lot of issues happening around the country, the first thing they do is they march in their cities, they march at their city hall, etc. And I constantly tell people, if you really want to see a change in your state, you need to go to the state capitol and talk to your legislators. Visiting the Black Caucus, what's the best time for people to do it? How can they do it? Um, can you explain to the general public just a vis- how visiting the State House is a good thing for everyone? Well, the, the good thing about going to the State House, particularly when we're in session, is that in numbers you show support one way or another. When you show support in numbers, the other side sees that. It's kind of difficult if you're in a committee meeting and an issue comes up concerning the color blue. School thinks that the blue color should be the color of their schools. And let's say the black caucus think the color should be red. We have a committee. We're supposed to give notice, and we have a committee meeting on it. And then with the committee meeting, if you've got 50 people show up that supports blue and only one that show up supports red, who's going to win? The blue. So the point I'm getting at is that if when we're in session, the more people that come in and testify before these committees, the more the better and stronger position it puts us in to advocate one way or another for a particular legislation. Okay? Because it's kind of difficult to say this is not good for the minority community, or this is not good for the poor, or this is not good for Hispanics or blacks, or this is not good for the hospital if we can't point to anybody that's before the committee who's testifying that's not there to testify in support of our position. So where should where should the public look so they can see the calendar when they need to go up to the State House to support these issues by the Black Caucus? Check online. When we're in session, we have what is called, we're a biannual budget every two years. We have a short session and a long session. The long session is in the odd years, short sessions in the evening years. Long sessions between January and April. Starts January in, the, in April. Short session starts January in March. So that's why we're considered part-time legislation because we're not in session every day for 365 days. So those are the times we're in session. So at any time, you can look online, call, or find out ahead of time who your state rep is or your state senator is, and you contact them. It's someone within your region, your district, and your neighborhood and you can pick up the phone and call. If, in fact, you don't have the direct numbers to the home, and most of them I do have the home numbers listed, you can call the state house. Each one has assistant interns that assist them out in their respective district, and those interns would have access to them. So if you call the state house and say, I'm looking to get in touch with State Senator Lonnie Randolph, then they'll hook you up with the state, with the Senate section of the all. And in the Senate section, they got an individual with the names and phone numbers of those respective legislators, and they can give that to you. That's when you're in session. When you're out in session, the same thing, we're not in session. Like right now, we're not in session. So there's nothing prevents you from writing your state rep or your state senator or calling the state house 
and tell them how you feel about certain positions. Another avenue, too, is a lot of the legislators, too, when session starts, just before they start, they have these surveys with questions that they send out. And, and of course, we want to get a response back from, the, from their constituents to see how they feel about certain issues. And a lot of times, our constituents don't respond to those surveys, so we don't know how they feel. We have to guess a lot of times, and that's not good and everything. But so there's a number of ways that you can be involved, but the most important thing you got to do is make a commitment to get involved. If you make a commitment to get involved, you'll find a way to get in touch with your legislators, be it a state senator or a state rep. And see, that's one of the reasons that we uh, invite the uh, members of the IBLC to come on our show and talk. We would actually love to get one of you down here in studio uh, one day. Uh, I know how busy you are. But um, is is this information anywhere on the IBLC website where I can just go and click and uh, navigate my way and find the numbers and addresses that I need to make phone calls and write letters? Yeah, I'm, I'll give you I'll give you uh, our office number at the State House. Our executive director is Anastasia Foster is her name. And her direct phone number is area code 317-232-9991. Okay. Can you, can you repeat that, please? That's area code 317-232-9991. And that is Anastasia Foster. Anastasia Foster. Okay. And then she can give you directly the line, all that information, everything. Our state chairman, our state chairman now is um, of the Black Caucus is Representative Cherish Pryor. Okay, excellent. And actually, we've been in, in uh, communication with them uh, quite a bit this year, uh, with both of them, uh, just in coordinating our interviews. Good. Between the members and the radio show. Uh, you know, I've got a question here in Monroe County. Um, we vote for our judges. Now, uh, in Marion County. Am I to understand that the 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 way that judges are uh, get to the seat is a little different? Yeah, it is, uh, and that for the last two or three years, there's been an issue concerning that. About two, maybe three years ago, uh, their slating system that Marion County had was challenged as being unconstitutional, and it was um, and it was found to be that by by the local courts there in Marion County. I think it went to the Supreme Court. And since that time, there's been effort to kind of change it, and there's been uh, discussions between Republicans and Democrats in terms of how to best do that. And they did not come up with a consensus. And they came back up with a similar system that they had before, the slating part. Um, and that's particular to Marion County. There is 92 counties in the state of Indiana, of which 90 counties have some form of elected, okay, uh, matter of fact, there's only really three counties that don't have elected judges. Okay? Uh, that's Lake County, which is where I'm from, St. Joe County, which is South Bend area, and Marion County, which is in Annapolis area. Oh. All of us have elected judges. Those are three of the largest areas in the state. Thank you. And in addition to that, they just happen to be three of the largest areas that comprise of uh, minorities, yeah. whether it's uh, African Americans, Hispanics. And, and for some reason, and it may be by chance, we don't know, but, but, but the point is, the facts show that those three areas are the areas where the majority of minorities are concentrated, including African Americans. But yet those are the only areas that have a merit kind of judge election system, a merit kind of selection system for judges. All the rest of the counties throughout the state, with the exception of Fort Wayne, I think, has like a hybrid system. But the rest of them have an elected system. So the obvious question is, if, in fact, elected judges is good for the other 89, 90 counties, then why is it not good for Marion County, Lake County, and St. Joe County, who happens to have the largest concentration of minorities? What has the response been to that question? No one's responded. <laughs> there has not been any. That's the, that's the problem. We have not got a response to it. If we had got a response to it, and response had been legitimate and sincere, then we would have bills dealing with elected judges for those three counties as well. And I suspect that, that that's what we're going to be pushing for. I think that's going to be coming up at the next session, that issue. Uh, Senator, I just want to let you know I'm from the 
from Northwest Indiana also. Actually, I grew up in Gary. Okay. Um, You're familiar with Lake County then? Absolutely, absolutely. What's your name? Uh, say again? What's your name? William Hosea. Hey, William Hosea, have we met before? Uh, were you, did you attend the, uh, the meeting at, for the uh, IBLC, for a IDAC? I think it was back in April. Oh, this year I didn't. I missed it this year. I okay. missed it. As if we met, it probably would have been there. Yeah, I missed that this year. I think I was out of town. I think I was at the NBA convention because I'm a National Bar Association okay. lawyer. And usually I attend their conventions because they talk about different laws that affect the African-American community throughout the country. Okay. And, well, if you come on down here and do another interview with us, we'll definitely get a chance to meet. <laughs> All right. Hey, look forward to it, okay? Okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hold you to that. Okay. What city are you calling from? Bloomington. Okay. Look forward to it and everything. Okay. Matter of fact, one of our colleagues is from, from uh, Bloomington, IU, and uh, Senator Taylor. Uh, he graduated Senator? from Bloomington, from IU University. Yeah. Uh, Representative Pryor graduated from IU also, didn't she? And then you've got... Uh, Talaferro, Mr. Tal George Talaferro. Yeah, he's down here. Absolutely. Everybody knows the Talaferro's down <laughs> here. In my opinion, in my opinion, he has not gotten his just due. Mm -hmm. He was really the first African-American professional football player in the National Football League, period. Absolutely. A lot of people don't know that. Absolutely. Well, we all know it down here in Bloomington. I promise you that. One that put IU on the map. <laughs> yes, he did. Well, Senator Randolph, for our listeners, what would you tell our listeners are the the issues they need to be concentrating on the most, con contacting their legislators uh, regarding in this upcoming year? Well, the thing, I mean, there's a lot of things that I would like to tell them that I like to focus on. But we're losing ground as a people because of our complacency, our inactivity. We think because of how things personally might be going for us, that things are all right, and that that's the same kind of way it's going for everybody else that's in a similar position that we're in when it comes to minorities. But that's not the case. We're losing ground constantly on a regular basis. And the reason why we're losing ground is because the majority feels that we're not paying attention. If we don't pay attention, we don't care, so therefore they can do whatever they want when they want. The only way to keep them on guard is we've got to be involved. We've got to show them we're paying attention. You pay attention by staying active. You can be active within your community. You can be active within your block. You can be active within your school system. You can be active on your job. Long as you're involved with issues that affect human beings, human lives, and family lives, that in itself brings attention to the people that's in control, in positions to decide your faith one way or another, which means they're going to pay attention to you. But it's like the old saying, squeaky wheel. If your wheel don't squeak, then you're not going to get any grease. But if you squeak, you're going to get some grease, which means paying some attention. So make a commitment to stay involved. When you make a commitment to stay involved, then you make a commitment to yourself that you can be sincere about it. You're going to be sincere concerning putting forth the necessary efforts to get things done, to make a change. And you can make a change. One person can make a difference, okay? Yeah. They have to make up their mind and say, I'm going to get involved, even if I just have to come to this meeting and show my face. The very fact that you come, that's going to be noticed. And if you don't come, that's going to be noticed as well. So if you don't come and they're noticing that, then that means that they feel in their mind, they assume you don't care, you're not concerned, you're not going to do anything about it, so therefore I can do whatever I want. But if you show up, okay, that's like a check and balance. Then that means I'm going to have to make certain I do or say the right thing for the group or for the people. Otherwise, the person that showed up is going to check me. He's going to say something about it. He's going to bring it to the attention of others, which means they're going to be challenging me, and I don't want to be challenged. Those are basic fundamental things I like for everybody to be aware of. And I like for everybody, regardless of who you are, to be active be an activist. You don't sit around and pass and wait till things happen and hope that nothing comes your way and hurts you. But you have to be active. And so I'm, I'm getting hoarse now.
But I mean, those are some basic, rather than repeating myself, but those are the basic fundamental things I would like to your audience to listen to and to respond to in an active manner. They got to become activists. You know, Senator, Senator Randolph, I tell people all the time that if you have time, I see so many Facebook posts complaining about this, that, and whatever. Yes. And I tell yes. folks that if you have time to make a, post, a, a Facebook post, you have time to contact your legislator. Um, social media, are the legislators actually looking at social media and being involved that way? Yes, the Black Caucus is. Uh, I think some of the, my guess is that some of the legislators are doing that now on their own. How many, I couldn't tell you. But that's one of the things that the Black Caucus is looking at in terms of the social media kind of thing. And so that's where our president, our chairman, uh, Representative Cherish Pryor, she is uh, heading up that, that effort, that cause force and everything. Okay, so uh, Senator, in our last, this down to our last minute, we got time for the last question. What do you think uh, works well and convincing or motivating people to get involved because it really could make a tremendous difference if we could turn out more people to just get involved and then ultimately to vote. But what, what do you find is most effective in making that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good question. Um, impact, immediate direct impact, is probably the single most motivating factor that could happen. In other words, by, by immediate impact, I'm referring to we read in the paper about uh, gangs and shoot-ups in different neighborhoods in the paper, right? And we say, boy, it's a shame, it shouldn't have happened, and that's bad, and that's wrong, and that's it. And we sit back and do it, relax and take it easy and go on about our lives. But let that gang shoot-up happen in my block, in my neighborhood, it impacts you directly. So that's a direct impact. And that's going to cause you to do more than just say, I'm sorry, and think about it. It's going to cause you to do something about it. That's why we've got community neighborhood block groups, gang violence, uh, mothers against violence. We've got churches against violence. We've got one man, one child churches, things of that nature. We've got marches. I mean, once it hits home, that impact cause a reaction on your part, on an individual. Any kind of reasonable person is going to respond to something like that. And let it hit home in terms of a neighbor or a friend or a loved one. That's a direct impact. And, and God forbid, I don't want anybody to have any negative direct impact. But I'm just saying, that's, you ask me a question, I think when you have a direct impact like that, that's a motivation for you to immediately want to do something about it. So that's why... Whenever you have a situation that happens and affects people in another city or town or state, you have to try to relate that situation to where you live and ask yourself whether or not the possibility of that developing in your neighborhood. And if your answer is yes, that should be a motivation for you to start being active and doing something about it to prevent it from happening in your neighborhood. Senator, we are out of time. So with that, uh, I'm going to say thank you. And, thank and you again, very much. We'll follow up, and maybe we can get you to come down and speak at one of our events here in Bloomington as well. What, what did your friends usually call you? Uh, my friends call me William. <laughs> okay, William. All right, William, looking forward to you. Take care, all right? All right. Thanks again. Welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. And for our audience, we want to thank the Honorable Lonnie M. Randolph, Minority Whip, representing Indiana's Senate District 2 in East Chicago, for joining us to expound more on the initiatives and progress to date of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. To learn more about the IBLC, access them at indianahousedemocrats.org. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address once again is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Monroe Convention Center, offering meeting and event spaces for groups large and small with in-house catering, audio-visual services, and Wi-Fi in downtown Bloomington. Info at bloomingtonconvention.com. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are my shepherd, no need to worry. And when I'm thirsty, you're there to lead me through the valley. Your hand will guide me, and you've restored me when I'm weary. Prepare a table for me that my enemies see. And you've anointed me Now I'm overflowing You are true to your word You won't lead me astray So I'll stand And say Dwayne Woods just performed I Won't Be Afraid from the My Life's Lyric album. The gospel selection is dedicated to the survivors of forest fires on the West Coast and Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, both of which devastated Houston and the state of Florida respectively within a period of several weeks. Our thoughts and prayers to those who have been displaced, lost properties, or regrettably loved ones. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? If so, you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. 
It's a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Simply go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit our news website at wfhb.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea, and uh, how about we start off and say a little something about uh, Joel Osteen. From blacknews.com, we read that filmmaker and actor Tyler Perry has released a video on his Facebook page announcing that he will be donating $1 million to various organizations that are helping victims of Hurricane Harvey in Texas and Louisiana. He also announced that he will be giving $250,000 to Joel Osteen's megachurch. That's uh, a bit confusing, isn't it? Although Osteen has received national criticism on social media for not immediately opening his Houston-based church to help displaced families, Perry defends the pastor and his wife saying that he understands why they didn't open the doors of the church for shelter immediately. In the video, Perry is heard saying, let me tell you something, Joel and Victoria are amazing people. There's no way they would lock people out of the church and not let people in for shelter. There were some safety concerns. He adds, I'm sending $250,000 to Lakewood to make sure that they can get all of the supplies people need, and I know that they will. That's the kind of person he is. The reactions to his announcement are mixed. This is why Tyler Perry is a mentor for me. He knows who he is, what he has purpose to do, and confident in walking in it. His heart for helping is incredible, said one person on social media. But other comments weren't so positive. Joel Osteen should not be receiving any more money. He was forced to open his doors after the backlash, said another person. Another person chimed in, Joel Osteen is a hypocrite. He might be a nice person, but he fails to be a leader, but he fails as a leader of his church. Christians like him make me want to run far away from that sort of thing. Just my opinion. You know, it seems like the only kind of shelter he was looking after was a tax shelter. Uh, For the first time in history, North Carolina has six black female police chiefs. Lily Worknith with the Huffington Post reports that six black women currently hold the title of police chief in North Carolina, marking the first time this has happened in state history. Among them are Raleigh's Cassandra Deck Brown, Durham, C.J. Davis, Morrisville's Patrice Andrews, and Fayetteville's Gina Hawkins, all of whom spoke to the local station last week about their experiences being women of color in leadership positions within the force. The women opened up about what it's like being in the male-dominated field and the obstacles they've overcome. Women only make up 13% of the police force in America, according to the National Center for Women in Policing. We've broken the glass ceiling, Deck Brown told WRAL's Lena Tillette. So becoming chief, the honor is knowing that somebody else has that opportunity to get there. The women, who said they often feel the need to do more to prove their abilities to men, who may doubt them, have over 100 years of experience among them. Andrews, who was sworn into her position in Mooresville last year, was the fourth black female police chief appointed in her area. Others like Hawkins, who began as Fayetteville's police chief in June, became the first woman and first minority in the city to do so. The police chiefs recognized the existing tensions between cops and the black community and the unique challenges they face in building trust while keeping communities safe. The women acknowledged that compassion, empathy, and communication were among the key traits they display on the job and that these qualities can contribute to a positive change in the way cops police communities, especially those where people of color are specifically targeted. This is a paradigm shift in in policing, Deck Brown said. This is what 21st century policing looks like. All we need is the opportunity. Some do it better than others, but we need the opportunity. Although this story happened last week, it's still uh, worthy of mention today. 
The Justice Department announced on Tuesday it is ending DACA, the Obama-era program that allowed undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children to remain in the country while also giving Congress a six-month window to possibly save the policy. Under the plan announced by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, the Trump administration will stop considering new applications for legal status dated after Tuesday, but will allow any DACA recipients with a permit set to expire before March 5, 2018, the opportunity to apply for a two-year renewal if they do not or if they apply by October 5th. The Department of Homeland Security will recognize DACA authorizations until they expire at the end of their two-year lifespans, which means the program runs out at different times for different recipients, senior DHS officials said. The last authorization would end March 5, 2020. Trump, in a lengthy statement issued after Sessions' remarks, said it was in the best interest of our country to begin an orderly transition and wind down of DACA, one that provides minimum disruption. In effect, the president said, I am not going to just cut DACA off, but rather provide a window of opportunity for Congress to finally act. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what our Congress decides to do, but uh, I just have no words about our president and DACA. Meet the quadruplets who have stuck together up to the university. Daniel Peterson from Your World writes that the incredible journey of the Wade quadruplets recently began a new chapter as they begin their freshman year at the famous Yale University. Hmm. Nigel, Zach, Aaron, and Nick Wade carried their solidarity to the prestigious institution. All there were support group for one another, we also came to Yale University to find our own personalities and our own group, said Nigel. Initially, the quadruplets who reside in Liberty Town, Ohio, revealed that they all got the impressive distinctions of being accepted to Yale and Harvard, not to mention other premiers like Georgetown, Stanford, Vanderbilt, Cornell, John Hopkins, and Duke. Born four minutes apart from one another, the brothers chose to stick together even when it came to ch- college selection. In May, they announced that they all planned to, f- to be future Bulldogs and that they would make New Haven, Connecticut to be their home for the next four years. About 32,900 applicants were aiming to join the Yale class of, 2000, of 2021, and the Wades were four of the 2,272 accepted, according to the Yale's university website. The friendly atmosphere at the institution and attracting financial aid package put Yale University at the top of the Quadra Brothers list. Impressive. They're, they're going to be instant celebrities when they get there. Oh, absolutely. You know, they almost have to establish a, a, a separate schedule just to walk around campus. Everybody's going to be confused. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Why so many people don't just leave when a major hurricane hits? It has nothing to do with being lazy or negligent. We, From the Huffington Post, we read that Diane Barbarian was so inundated with calls from well-meaning friends and family inviting her to seek shelter from Hurricane Irma with them that she shut off her phone on Tuesday evening. Despite the grave warnings, the 59-year-old Florida native isn't going anywhere. It's far too expensive for the St. Petersburg resident to leave. A flight out of nearby Tampa to Philadelphia, where Barbarian has family, would cost her over $1,000, she said. She noted that she has booked last-minute ticket, last tickets to Philly in the past that cost as little as $200. Barbarian is visually impaired, so she doesn't drive. Even if she did, gas stations across the state are running low on gas. She lives alone and does not have relatives in the area, but she does have friends who will help her get to a shelter should the need arise. You know, the economy, it, it really does dictate it. I mean, if it's... Some people live in paycheck to paycheck, and if it's a couple days before payday, you're out of luck. Yep. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott to discuss the Charlottesville's response with the president. Robert Nobles of CNN writes that Senator Tim Scott, a rising star and a most prominent African-American Republican in Congress, will meet Wednesday with President Donald Trump at the White House, in part to talk about the president's response to the violence at a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia last month. The meeting comes just a few weeks after Scott offered some of the bluntest criticism to Trump's Charlottesville's reaction, which drew bipartisan criticism for equating white supremacists protesting the removal of Confederate monuments with those of the counter-protesters. 
Scott has worked to bridge racial gaps in the United States, speaking passionately on the Senate floor about his own experiences with racism. He has also worked with white members of the Senate, like Senator James Lankford, a Republican from Oklahoma, to hold weekly dinners with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds designed to open lines of communication. He now plans to take that effort directly to the White House. A source with knowledge of the meeting said Scott plans to offer his personal perspective in the conversation with the president with the goal of convincing him that he needs more personal interaction with people of color. After the president's controversial news conference, in which he said that both sides shared blame for the violence that erupted after a march planned by white supremacists, Scott told Vice News that Trump's credibility was damaged. And that was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Please send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from the 24th Annual Lotus World Music Fest and Arts Festival, September 28th through October 1st. 25 artists from around the globe at 10 downtown venues over four days. Full festival details, schedules, lineup, and ticket information are available online at lotusfest.org. The Lotus World Music and Arts Festival is a program of the nonprofit Lotus Education and Arts Foundation, sponsored by Blooming Foods and Indiana University Bloomington. See, this is my testimony, y'all. Through the years, I've had my share I've had to cry sometimes, but thank God. Enough to keep me down, but I'm still going strong. Walking this straight and narrow. So nobody told me it would be easy. But this is the part I like, y'all. It's because of Jesus that I've made it. All because of mercy. Oh, yeah. I'm going all the way, going all, going the, way. all the way, yeah. the other oh, 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 oh. It's because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I made it. Oh, mercy, mercy and grace, God's grace, have kept me this far. Even though I've been through, I've been through the fire.
We were listening to Still Here, another song by Dwayne Woods from his My Life's Lyric album. Woods is also a celebrated actor and has appeared in numerous stage plays and musicals. In addition, he has shared the stage with fellow Thesmian artists like Peebo Bryson, Dave Hollister, Morris Day, Denise Williams, and Cuba Gooding Sr. It's now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm William Hosea. Local author Dr. Gladys Devane is hosting a book launch for her new book titled Ordinary Extraordinary African American Women, The Elders. The date is October 8, 2017 from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. The Unitarian Universalist Church of Bloomington, Indiana, 2120 North Fee Lane, right here in Bloomington. And it features her life's journey. The Elders celebrates 10 extraordinary African-American women who've raised families, forged career paths, and demonstrated great character in the face of social injustice. This book chronicles the challenges, heartaches, and accomplishments of these women as they journey from young girls to who they are today as seasoned sages. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to bring it on staff. Or, if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Again, we want to thank the Honorable State Senator Lonnie M. Randolph, Minority Whip, representing Indiana Senate District 2 in East Chicago, for joining us to expound more on the initiatives and progress to date of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. To learn more about the IBLC, access them at indianahousedemocrats.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Tonight's board engineers were Jim Thrasher and Kirsten Payton, although I believe I saw Jennifer Brooks back there also. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea. On this day of remembrance, for those families who lost loved ones in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, please know that our continual thoughts and prayers are with you and those who have been suffering through the unfortunate cycle of natural disasters that have been plaguing our country. We'll be back next Monday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.